0: Herera, it I nai and herera, herera nan it I
1: and
0: Hidden I, nine, and I know Hidden I, nine, and I know Hidden nine, and nine, nine, and nine, 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 and I, nine, 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 and I, nine, 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 and I, nine, Shalom,
2: shalom, beautiful friends. It is great to be with you today to session 37 to learn about manucha Tanafesh. achieving equanimity. I can't wait to hear your insights. On how we can achieve equanimity together. Let's start with a poll question to go inwards before we go outwards. Okay, inside of me, I generally feel a deep inner calm. I generally feel a deep stormy rumbling. Uh, my deep inner state fluctuates between calm and discomfort. <laughs> okay, let's see what we got. 43% generally feel a deep inner calm zero say i feel a deep stormy rumbling all the time and um 57 the high majority say my deep inner state fluctuates between calm and discomfort okay wonderful wonderful i look forward to this topic with all of you in our complex world we often feel overwhelmed and anxious the cost of living is high our moral responsibilities are great The demands on our time are substantial. The spiritual challenges are heavy and relationships are complex. Within that race, however, we strive for happiness and peace. At times, it seems like one can either choose complexity and anxiety or simplicity and happiness. But must that be so? Can one choose a path of actualizing one's unique potential and living with joy and inner calm? Can one find the balance in the disarray of modern living? The Jewish tradition contains within it a rich literature that provides inspiration about tackling the complexities of life's challenges. As a people concerned with the minutia and exactitude of wisdom for its own sake, it makes sense as well that Jewish ethics evolved in tandem with a sense of creating opportunities that allow us to transcend transcend mundane tasks by pairing them with a divine purpose. Such is the case that we will follow in these succeeding words. How can we enable ourselves to face both the challenges of contemporary American life and the ancient challenge of living an ethical life? How can we make physical and emotional space for both? For me, a first step to answering these questions is to recognize our own limitations, and to be vulnerable even at the most trying of times. If one has not addressed the messiness of one's inner life, one will have limited capacity to address the messiness of one's outer life. Therefore, it is crucial to first achieve emotional health, health and spiritual clarity in on one's life mission. King David writes in Tehillam in Psalms, Yehi shalom bechelech shalva ba'amunotayif. May there be peace within your walls, serenity within your palaces. While generally understood to be a wish, there's another way to read this verse. If you would like there to be peace within your walls, there must be serenity within your palaces. That is to say, peace begins in the home. The idea that, just shared then, that one must address one's inner life before one's outer life is perhaps implied in the words of the psalmist. The midah, the character trait required to obtain this balance, is menucha tenefesh, equanimity. Cultivating equanimity is the crucial ingredient to living a meaningful, passionate, purposeful life in joy, peace, and inner calm. So how can we deal with all these worries? Well, we did a whole session on that, but traditional thinkers tell us to cultivate the midot of bitachon and emunah. We just did a session on that, trust and faith. We need not worry too much, they suggest, since ultimately, there's a higher power in control and not us. Everything happens for a reason. We therefore need not get worked up too worked up in worry, fear, and anxiety. The late Hasidic thinker Rabbi Shalom Noach Berezovsky explained that there are two types of trust. One, we learn from the exodus from Egypt how to give up control, be patient, and wait. And two, we learn from the splitting of the sea how to rise up and transcend our limitations. These are two different spiritual truths we can embrace at different moments of our journey. Each day, we must ask ourselves, in what area of my life do I need to just stay the course, let go of control, and stop wasting so much of my physical and spiritual energy and anxiety about that which I cannot control? And each day, we must also ask ourselves, in what area of my life do I need to rise up, become more active, take control, and create change? Indeed, as the Israelites sense, they are trapped with the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. Moses cries out to God. God's response is swift and straightforward. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to travel forward. God sees this teaching moment when faced with all but certain doom. The only viable option is to take initiative to transcend our limitations. At the same time, Moses tells the Israelites, God will fight for you. The message is clear. If we advance forward, if we rise up when called upon, then God will indeed fight for us and be there for us. Worry can be holy when it is about something profound and warranted. It can be channeled, refined, and even appreciated. But worry also allows us to push our bodies and our minds to be their best. If we are worried about a college placement test or an interview for a dream job, or if someone wants to be our partner in marriage, then the reward when seeing such goals achieved is all the sweeter and consequential to our identity in this life. But how can we recognize our own limitations? Well, we must do all we can to strive forward. We must also remember with humility that we are limited beings. The rabbis taught, you are not obligated to complete the task, but neither are you free to desist from it. We are not angels, perfectly prepared to fulfill the divine will. No, we are human beings, profoundly imperfect and limited. The sensibility should not lower our self-esteem, but give us a healthy sense of balance and perspective. Rav Cook taught that we must repent for being overly obsessed with details and for missing the big picture. <laughs> when a great person involves themselves too much, with details, whether by studying them or by anxiety about them. They are diminished and their stature is lessened. They must return and repent with love, with greatness of soul, and bind the contents of their spiritual life with great and sublime ideas. Certainly, they must not slight any detail and always expand force and holiness in their deeds as well. So here, Rav Cook says, of course, Judaism is about details. It's about caring about the details of life like if you love someone you don't just say how are you doing today you say how how is this thing going today you were telling me about last week you don't just call and say you know how's your health you say how is your your kidney function because I know you've had a challenge there you don't just say um, you know um, you don't just ask something broad you go specific you care about the details of the other person. So too with Jewish life and with moral life and yet Rob Cook says, if we're stuck in the details and we miss the big picture, we've also uh, trapped ourselves. Laws and ethics are complex. It's easy to get lost within the minutia of the rules and fail to zoom out to the broader principles guiding our moral lives. To be clear, Again, to be clear, Rav Cook deeply valued these details. Furthermore, there's too many today who are clearly not concerned enough about facts and about the process of truthful inquiry. However, Rav Cook was aware that one often easily begins to worship details in a way that is paralyzing for one's broader spiritual vision and for actualizing our most cherished values in the world. Sometimes we have to act without knowing all the details. The rabbis teach three things sap a person's strength, anxiety, travel, and sin, (laughs) right? So travel is the most obvious to us perhaps because you know if you take flights, um, and you stay in hotels and you pack bags and you unpack bags, that like it takes a few weeks to rec- recover for some people from that. You know, um, that's like really exhausting. People think of travel as being like a vacation, right? I, um, but unless somebody's going for like a month, you're going for like a weekend, I can certainly attest to it being sapping uh, one's energy. The second most obvious one here is anxiety, that worrying drains our mental capacity. Um, and then this one of kind of moral error, right? When we, um, the happiest people are giving people. Um, that's not always true, but I do believe it generally to be true. Givers find a happiness in that. And those who kind of consistently moral, more, create moral errors kind of live in a, in a sense of selfishness. Um, I think it really drains energy because our souls are pulling us towards being connectors and givers. And we're almost liberated when we when we are givers and when we just kind of confine ourselves um, in as, as solely as takers. It's, um, it drains us. To be a Jew means to think critically and open about life, to seek and find a proper balance in everything. No matter how strongly we are pulled in one direction, we must always pause and ask ourselves if this is indeed the direction we should be going. The path that we follow determines so much in our life. How can we create change one step and one mitzvah at a time? For me, creating change is based on Jewish spirituality. Jewish spirituality is not a one time a day act. We do not simply meditate or pray in the morning and declare ourselves done. Rather, Jewish spirituality is about carrying a spiritual consciousness throughout our day. <speaking in Spanish> we say in the Shema, on our way, we will hold this consciousness. Our child is screaming in the middle of the night, and we can center ourselves. Our colleague at work is being obnoxious and triggering us, and we can reground ourselves. We want to scream and complain to our life partners or friends, but we internally calm ourselves rather than externalize our ag- aggravations. We see a multitude of options ahead of us, and we take the time to inquire which of them might be the path guided by Meet's Rather than being ruled by outer stimuli, we contain them. There's a quiet inner stillness that helps us steer through the messy the messiest storms around us. Menucha Tanefesh provides us with spiritual direction. As we journey from darkness to light, from uncertainty to clarity, from the oppression of Egypt to the freedom of the promised land, each of us will need to take some time to discern between the urgent and the unimportant and the urgent and the important. May our sacred values help us to achieve this inner calm, the equanimity that we need for this task with cool headedness we can cultivate the empathy to see beyond ourselves to others and the wisdom to determine our next steps on our paths. The Torah teaches that Moshe ascended the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The Kutzker Rebbe shares that it was easy for the masses to stand afar and tremble at the sight, but Moshe entered the dark cloud knowing that the deepest spiritual treasures are not found in seemingly perfect certainties, but rather in humble places that are oftentimes quite blurry and uncertain. And so we should prepare ourselves, our hearts and our souls, for a life on earth and in the midst of the clouds. Ever also feel like at every moment you're urgently called above towards spirituality and also below toward pressing human pursuits? Ever feel overwhelmed by those those, uh, simultaneous pulls? The great 20th century Israeli poet, Yehuda Amichai, articulates this challenge well. He writes, taxis below and angels above are impatient at one and the same time they call me with a terrible voice. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming down, I'm coming up. (laughs) I love that. For those of us deeply troubled, by Jewish suffering and universalistic suffering of all humans, we might find it strange how calm some can be. It says over here in the Sparks of Musar, walking along Kelm's main road, which had been paved by the king's prisoners, sentenced to slave labor, Reb Simcha Zissel would think of their suffering. How can people walk calmly through this place, he wondered, where people suffered so much and invested their blood and sweat? I think of my colleague here, Eddie Chavez Calderon, who was recently on a work uh, conference in Georgia, reflecting both on some of the tragic history for black people in Georgia and reflecting on the beauty of the flowers around, right? And how do we hold those beautiful flowers around us while also kind of knowing the history of where we walk, right? Maybe you experienced that in Georgia, Imagine, excuse me, in in Germany, imagine eating just an amazing bowl of soup in Munich. You know, you're enjoying good company. You're enjoying a warm bowl of soup and you're aware that you're in Munich, Germany, right? And that's just one example, but there's so many examples like that where um, we're sitting in a spot of beauty, but also a place stained with blood. On the other hand, Working toward Menucha Tenefesh doesn't mean letting go of our concern for justice and our protest against oppression. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II is one of the many amazing people I've had the privilege to march with when he was here just about a year or two ago. He's a fierce advocate for racial and economic justice. Watching him up close, I could see his humble and bold leadership in action. In an act of civil disobedience here in Phoenix, we collaborated on outside of a senator's office not, knowing, not naming the senator, but perhaps you can guess, I saw how painfully slow-moving he was with his cane, and yet how much moral conviction and faith was carried in each step of conscience as he moved so slowly with sweat across his brow. He marches with Menucha nefesh. We learn from the Midrash that Moshe approached Pharaoh with a great sense of conviction and calm. How could anyone representing slaves Approached the most powerful person on the planet with such calmness, perhaps he knew that God was with him. perhaps he knew that no man could hurt him. The night before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed, he said, "I am happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I am not fearing any man. We've all heard the speech, but it's worth going back to. I was just there in Memphis, where he was shot a few, um, about just I don't know two or three months ago um you know, literally at the spot he was shot, just a a block from the church where he gave this speech. And it's just a remarkable moment of, uh, potentially a prophetic moment of knowing what was coming the next day. Indeed, there's a liberation in coming to only fear God, so to speak, as we talked about a different session of Yira, but not fearing any person. One walks with Menucha Tenefesh. The Torah instructs us, you shall not fear or be intimidated by any man, for judgment is God's. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, who is a good friend to VBM, been here many times, explains in his code of Jewish ethics, based on this verse, the Talmud rules that prior to hearing a case, a judge may tell the litigants who seek him out, "I don't want to take your case." A judge is also permitted to do so if he knows that is, if he knows that one of the litigants is a harsh person whom the judge fears will harass him if he rules against them. However, once a judge has heard litigants present their arguments and has reached a conclusion as to who is the guilty party, he cannot withdraw and say, I don't want to get involved in your dispute, for to do so would violate the command of the Torah that you shall not fear any man. So what an interesting practical application of this principle that we shouldn't fear someone. I mean, imagine if you're on the the January 6th committee knowing people are gonna come after you. Imagine if you're Nancy Pelosi, do you, stay, do you stay in office after someone goes in your house and beats your husband, right? At what point do you say, I need to step out of this kind of public leadership or lower the temperature? At what point do you say, I can't fear people in leadership? Okay, to conclude here friends, to live by Jewish values means to do what's right over what's popular. It means putting oneself at risk by breaking from social conformity and a desire for social acceptance, instead living by an elevated spiritual consciousness rooted in connection and empathy. To do so requires one to find the right balance of giving of oneself while living with equanimity. May we all be blessed with the ability to attain to nefesh as we engage in bettering the world. We are blessed to inhabit.
3: Okay, dear friends. Would
0: love to hear from you. Hi, Steve.
3: I mean, this uh,
4: is is probably unique to me among uh, all of my uh, brothers and sisters on this panel today. But the thing that has upset my equanimity the most, I think I can't remember, is my memory. And the loss of memory is is not atypical for someone my age. Uh, 80 years old and it is so frustrating and and so I've talked with others and and everybody says we all have to start making lists and I know a lot of guys that I have lunches with always proudly take out their lists and it's like show and tell when we were younger we would talk about other things that uh, brag about other things now we brag about our lists and and so that's that's my intro here but uh other than that the things that i having difficulty identifying with are because i don't believe in a personal god and and so the words spirituality mm-hmm. and divine purpose uh don't antagonize me i'm just curious about them is jewish spirituality different than other cultures and religions, spirituality, and I, I find most of my spirituality is innate. Innate. I was born with it. Wow. But that's all.
2: Wow. Wow. Thank you for both of those. The point about memory, and I think that's really important, actually. Uh, I think it's a great insight you shared with us, how a lot of the lack of equanimity can emerge externally from stimuli and pressures but a bunch of um a bunch of lack of equanimity can emerge from inner turmoil and one of those being like the inability to remember something that we desperately wish to remember whether it's long term or short term and kind of the disorientation that emerges with with being in that state um and yes figuring out the tools like lists and the like um to stay on top of that and yet um, I wonder, Steve, when you're in a moment, uh, if you're in a moment where it's not on your list and you forgot something and you're kind of frustrated. How do you pull yourself out of that? Like, what is your Jewish spiritual? What is your spiritual tool to kind of be okay in that moment of forgetting? Um, not
4: not to beat to myself too hard. When when the loss of memory began, I was very critical of myself and I would stomp and pace the floor. Uh, now I know it is a thing that I have to deal with, and I try to retrace my steps and hope that will help. And if it doesn't, just I I accept it with more equanimity now that I've experienced it so often.
2: Yeah, yeah, love that. Thank you for sharing that. And then to your second point around spirituality, I think it's so important. I think one of the great things about the breadth and depth of Judaism is that there, um, uh, There can be a deep spirituality which um, goes beyond the notions of a personal God. And I think what you talked about being innate, innate for you, Um, and I think that um, these tools that have to do with character, with human connection, with um, a a sense of purpose and meaning, uh, a sense of presence, um, these types of spirituality which don't require someone to believe in, you know, talking with a God or a God who intervenes in the world or really any traditional notions of God. And, um, and I, and that's a great interest we have at VBM at making clear that this spiritual and intellectual tradition are for everyone in, in in its pluralism. Um, And that's not just a marketing campaign. It's a really a belief that we've inherited a gift that people who are Traditional believers in a god, people who are atheists, anything in between, right, can access something deeply meaningful here that can enhance their lives. And so I'm so glad you shared that, and um, um, and 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 I and I welcome others to kind of reflect on on the spiritual tools that enhance their sense of minucha tenefesh. Let's go to Gary and then, Eileen.
5: Good morning. Can everybody hear him? I have a different speaker today. Great, great. Uh, I, I I wanted just to. Uh, to mention, uh, much like Steve did, that to me I have a, a, a issue with the word spirituality. I always equate that to some Christian al- Christian type thing. They always talk about spirituality. Uh, maybe there's a Hebrew word that would better not create that same sense of whatever. You know, it just it just turns me off uh it's like prayer but uh when you when you when you listen to the hebrew word it, it's a totally different meaning so i, <laughs> I had to throw that in uh, you know we we started the thing off about being calm and uh, it was interesting to see the uh how people people responded i know that over the years i was really a hyper guy and uh there was no calm in my life between pr- professional and family and, and as i've gotten older uh, I've become much more calm, uh, uh, by the fact that, uh, I can't worry about things I have no control over. Uh, so I concentrate on the things that I do and that has surely uh, helped me uh, quite a bit. And that calm com- does come from some sense of not a personal God, but some sense of direction from Torah and Talmud and, 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 and learning and puts, puts me into action, which, uh, I feel a, a great sense of, uh, calm with Mm uh changing the world tikkun olam that's my it's always been my thing even as a kid Uh, but i found that professionally when even though i was a podiatrist i saw a lot of patients especially seniors over the years and i found those that were calm and accepted their age and knew that sometime the world was going to end for them also were deeply spiritual they were connected to a church uh, or some organization that gave him some sense of calm, usually a usually a church type, and those those seniors that were not calm, always facing a, or chasing some way to continue to be alive, uh, that they didn't feel they had fulfilled some purpose in life, were were not calm. Uh, you know, they weren't willing to accept that life is going to end at some point in, in time, and I I just. I, I just find that that interesting uh, uh, about the whole uh, calm uh, thing. As we get older, my wife is not a calm person. She was at one time, but surely isn't anymore. She's she's the she's the minutia. Uh, she always sees the small. I'm the big picture guy, uh, but uh, that's kind of kind of where I'm at. And uh, uh, so I thought I'd throw that.
2: Thank, Thank you. you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. Uh, that's that's very helpful and. Yeah, I, I wonder if if uh, other people in their aging as saging have have found it to be a gradual transition or a paradigm shift. I, I, I felt a paradigm shift, maybe somewhere in the last two or three years and actually like after COVID, I found that um, something clicked for me that like I, I had this deeper level of calm and clarity that emerged for me in a way that I used to feel this constant turmoil of like, go, 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 yeah. and I started to to experience that differently, and I wonder, I'm, I'd be curious to hear how others have experienced that, and yet what Gary also said, his wife has kind of grown in her, um, um, in her kind of, I don't want to use words you didn't use, anxiety or lack of calm, but, and so that's also a different experience, I'm curious if others, if that resonates. On your first point, I love that point, you know, some people say, why are we still talking Hebrew, American Jews don't know Hebrew, right, it's like, we should just abandon the Hebrew project. Because it's so alienating to the 90% of Jews that aren't participating in anything, you know, 80% of Jews, whatever whatever, whatever it is, based on what city we're talking about. Um, and, um, and, and I hear that, you know, I hear that. And I hear that, like, I actually think a whole bunch of terms are just so much more engaging when they're in Hebrew, like you said, right? Like, who wants to talk about God anymore? Like, God is, God is dead, as Nietzsche said. You know, um, we should talk about HaKadosh Baruch or the Ribono Sha'olam or the Shechina, right? These are like a whole different category of spirituality. It's just like so, it's just so overused. Like, what does it even mean anymore, like we are saying? But if we talk about Ruchniut, or we talk about Devekut, we, we talk about these Hebrew concepts that have such a different connotation um, because, um, you know, like a notion of God, who wants to believe in God anymore? I mean, God is such a, is such an old, like, like broken, loaded concept in a sense, um, as opposed to kind of these other things. So thank you, Gary, for those points. I think that was that was really helpful. Eileen and then Sarah.
1: Um, Steve, in regard to lists, I'm a list maker. I have made lists all my life. So I find making lists to be normal and helpful. And if I forget to put something on my list, I will eventually remember. And then I write it at the bottom of the list. I carry my lists with me. And usually when I go out to do errands, I get to cross them off, which to me is fun. Okay, second thing, um, being calm. I'm going to tell you a story. I fell and hit my head at McDonald's and had to be taken to the emergency room. And I was there when the doctor came in to stitch me up. And I didn't have any medication or anything. And we were just talking. And so the doctor says to me, are you always this calm? And I said, yes. I said, I have a choice. I can be calm or I can be a nervous wreck." Which do you prefer? (laughs) So that's kind of my background on calmness. Maybe people are born with it or maybe they grow into it. But now at my advanced senior years, I find I'm even calmer. And I find that things that might have bothered me when I was younger, eh, no big deal. I missed a TV program, eh, so what? It was a waste of time anyways. Um, I couldn't go to something, eh, so what? Um, along with that, I think part of it is problem solving. Mm-hmm. So I have neuropathy, which I just developed, and I don't know if any of you know about this, but it's disabling in that I can no longer stand or walk as far as I used to. Well, I'm going on a trip to Poland at the end of March. And I talked to my girlfriend and I said, you know, I think I'm going to get a walker because I think a walker with a seat will enable me to do the tours and still have a place to put my bottom down so that my feet don't bother. Yeah, Gary, right? So um, I've got this spanking new red walker, which I tried out the other day, and it's actually kind of fun. So my goal is really not to stop traveling, but to figure out ways in which I can still travel and enjoy myself. And I'm thinking I may wrap the walker with lights that'll go on and off, that'll blink, you know, make it kind of blingy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Very nice. That will be the coolest walker in town for sure.
1: Um, I think we, so.
2: We look forward to seeing your your, your, your bling bling walker in the office. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing all that. Yes. And yeah, and owning this calm is not only a gift to ourselves um, in that we can remove ourselves from just the world of constant pressures and dissatisfactions, but also to those around us. The kindness of others of being present in a calm state Oh, my gosh. And it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard to do. But when we people who need us to be listeners for them, people who need us to be present for them. um, And if you're someone who runs from room to room, right, maybe it's patient to patient or client to client or student to student or grandchild to grandchild. If you run from space to space, sometimes you have to release the energy of that first space to be present in this next space. And that's, of course, an art. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Um,
6: I'm enjoying this in that first I was enjoying both Eileen and Steve kind of reflecting on self-compassion and the importance of self-compassion in this process, uh, particularly as we age. And I feel like I'm doing an Olaya thing. So uh, I I just wanted to read something from Rabbi Cowan's wise aging book about equanimity. And she says, strengthening our capacity for equanimity is enormously important for this stage of life. As we get older and feel less in control of the events taking place in our lives and feel more anxious about the future, having equanimity enables us to be responsive rather than reactive Mm. to what's going on in this moment. It enables us to accept What is true, and then choose our response to it. Equanimity allows us the strength and resilience to live with this condition. And I know that my own experience of equanimity came when I started meditating 20 years ago and was told to be equanimous. And I was like, what the hell is that? Um, And that... It took a lot of meditation before I found that space. And like you, Rabbi, it's in these last couple of years with COVID, with everything around me creating this enormous cocoon of quiet, incredible quiet, that I found this deeper spiritual quiet in myself without having to sit on my cushion and meditate. Mm -hmm. And what I loved in a in a group I doing an was someone who say, who shared pause P-A-U-S-E, as an acronym for postpone action until serenity emerges. Mm. And I just thought that was exquisite. So I thought I would share it. Thanks.
2: Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I love that bit you read to us about being responsive rather than reactive and thinking about our our triggers, um, and and then this last piece about serenity, uh, you know, waiting to act until we've achieved that. And um, geez, I mean, how many how many bad moves have we made <laughs> when we're in that turmoil state that we could just delay, we could just delay a little bit. Um, and so, um, yeah, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, thank you so much for all that. Uh, hi, Lauren.
3: Hi. Um- Sarah, thank you because that answers one of my questions. The pause. Um, equanimity is my hardest. I know I always say that it's really hard. The equanimity is my hardest. <clears throat> beneath this mild-mannered Canadian is somebody that gets easily, easily triggered, and I blow up, and then I regret it, and then I do that for myself. And I've tried, and I've tried the breathing and everything, but. When somebody is just saying something incredibly nasty or stupid, I find it really hard. Any suggestions other than pause? It's a tough one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I I I would I would open it up to the group. Um, if you are a person who really feels the world intensely, and at moments where you feel offended. Or feel um, someone is being abrasive or obnoxious. Um, how do we be less reactive to that? Um, anyone want to weigh in on, on Lauren's great question? Yeah, Eileen, you want to you want to go first?
1: Um, I just wrote in the chat. Don't take it personally.
7: Uh, uh, there
1: are always uh, going to be idiots and stupids in this world. They have nothing to do with you. You didn't cause their problem. So just let it go. Um, Some of the other things that personally may involve you, take a step back and before you open your mouth, pause, or just think of, if I say something, is it going to be helpful or harmful?
2: It kind of solves most problems. You know, um, I, re- reflecting personally on one thing um, here, I don't know if anyone else had this experience, but in the beginning of the Trump administration, everything this man said, everything this man did, um, it literally drove me wild. I was in that camp of people who, like, the world is ending. Like like every moment was like, oh my gosh, like it's all destroyed. Everything is going to, and then something shifted at some point where um, I just s- stopped caring. It lost its power over me. And even the people who were kind of his closest followers, you know, and spewing forms of hate, like they didn't bother me in the same way as well. Like I used to view them as like like the rising population of America that I was just like, and I wonder if anyone else had that. And I don't know how much of it was a reduction of threat or my own kind of shifting of a perspective. Um, but I think of that as just one example in my life recently where, like, I noticed a drastic shift where, like, I can, I can have coffee with, like, a strong Trump supporter now and, and talk to them and, like, not be, um, bothered by it. I'm just, like, I can kind of see them and what they think for what it is. And, um, and, and, where I, I simply couldn't have done that, like, in the first two years of the presidency. So I don't know if, if yeah, if, if others want to kind of weigh in on that, but Ethan, I see your hand up over there.
3: If, if folks want to chime in on that first, I I was gonna Well, and, and, and we're also still on Lauren's point. I don't
2: know if you were responding to Lauren or going yeah. to a new.
3: Yeah, that, I was gonna I was gonna on on Lauren's. I, um, great great. First off, I, I you know, Lauren, I think it's an incredibly important question that you ask. Um, I posted in the the chat a little bit earlier one of the my favorite verses from the the Torah that I carry with me in my in my wallet. It's on my car. I you know think about it a lot. Um, it said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for your Lord, but your God will be with you wherever you go From uh, the book of Joshua. Um, and I, it tells me not necessarily that there's some guy in the sky who's walking around with me everywhere that I go, but instead that my Jewish teaching teaches me that there's literally a piece of God inside of everyone and everything that's around me. And so therefore everywhere that I do go, God is around me. Um, but I also want to comment that I, I heard the other day that... Um, when life gets tough and things get hard, uh, oftentimes it's not going to be a, a quote or a, you know a, a podcast that you listen to or a, a book that you're reading that comes to save the day. Um, it's habits that you build day after day after day, um, which reinforce actions that are going to ultimately decide how you react um, when things get hard. And so Lauren, to your point... I, for me, what I think about is, like, honestly, when, when we are frustrated in those situations, are we thinking to ourselves uh, about what a terrible person they are and, and what a horrible response they, they gave to us? Or are we considering for ourselves what's going on in their personal life to drive them to this uh, type type of comment back to me, are we constantly creating the habit of you know writing every morning three things that we 're grateful for? Um, you know little things like that that can 't just be a one time thing, but like every single day we have to task ourselves with taking those actions so that when the the you know trumper shows up on our feed and uh, you know when someone's screaming in our face that we have conditioned ourselves in a way that resorts ourselves back to those actions that we practice and and then it's not necessarily a new situation for us so that's how i would respond to lauren i think it's an incredibly important question
2: thank you thank you so much ethan for sharing that you know one of the tools that emerges in the midrash here is the rabbis ask when yosef was being tempted by um the you know the daughter of potiphar Uh, um, how did he resist that? How did, like, this is the most powerful woman, or one of them, who's kind of tempting him. And they said that he, in that moment, um, brought up an image of his father, Yaakov. Um, And that image of his father enabled him to kind of stay grounded in who he is. And I wondered for each of us, if we have an image of a person, a mother, a father, a grandparent, a teacher, who, like, in a moment where we get thrown off our balance, like bringing up an image of them um, can help us. Like, uh, you know, and I, 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 I have a teacher who I sometimes say, like, when when I'm I'm in a tension of like, do I just do what most people would do, or do I try to go to the high ground? I like think of his face, and I'm like, oh, this is a person who sought the high ground. Like, don't just do what most people think is okay to do. And like, I think of his face, like. And how it, it, um, and it helps me to, to kind of sail, sail a little higher. Another thing uh, we might do is thinking, thinking of a person as a baby, like in their baby state, right? Um, you know, when we see them, or in a way which I don't mean violently at all, God forbid, seeing them as dead, right? That everybody dies and like as uh, ultimately powerless. And I think, you know, seeing kind of the impotence of each person could in some ways remove their, their power over, over us in some sense. Hi, Cheryl.
8: Hi, um, th- this was really good. Um, thank you very much. Um, uh, I uh, wanna thank Sarah because I go directly from this class to my wise aging class where we use Rabbi Cowan's book. And um, this, I always bring something from this class to that class because they kind of go, go together So I I really appreciate that reference today. Um, I'm an anxious person. I grew up as an anxious person. Um, I, uh, the saying in our family was always, you know, if somebody doesn't show up on, you know, if they're five minutes late, call the highway patrol. You know, it was always a joke in our family. they call the highway patrol. Um, I, I have to say, I think that I've mitigated some of that as, as as I've gotten older, although sometimes I wake up at night and, you know, start thinking of the lists, you know, the lists of things to do or the things that I'm worried about. And um, I've developed a series of, um, you know, mind-brain things like, you know, the states in alphabetical order and, you know, mm-hmm. the countries of Europe and, you know, I mean, I go through all of those things, you know, just, you know, that's, that's my quote, meditation. So, um, I mean, I understand that. And to Steve's point, I just find myself forgetting. I can't come up with the word. I can come up with the first letter. Give me 10 minutes. I'll come up with the word. I, I just think that's just the way things are you know, mm-hmm. the way things are as we get older and just keep grabbing at it. I, I would say just keep going. Um, I'm not an anxious traveler at all. I loved that those were the three things, though. But I I mean, I just, you know, just, sh- sh- you know, I have my suitcase. I'm ready to go at any moment. And, you know, it doesn't really phase me. So, I mean, that to me, that's a very calming, enjoyable oh. thing to do is to travel. So oh,
0: very nice. Very nice. But
8: th- and also one more thing that you just said. I always think of Donald Trump in that baby thing, <laughs> oh. powerless, you know? I mean, there were so many, <laughs> there were so many, you know, graphics about that, you know, showing him as a powerless baby and that, you know, and that does take away, you know, that kind of gives you a feeling that it's just a baby, you know? So, and I still yeah. get angry with, I don't want to hear him on TV. So <laughs> you might've calmed about it, but I haven't calmed about it.
2: <laughs> Yeah. So. You know, um one other thing I want to raise before, we just go over to Eddie over there, thank you for that, Cheryl, is what do we do when when um, the threat is real, right? It's like it's nice to have the privilege when we say, "I'm calm because I think things are actually going to work out." But what about the states where actually the threat is uh, is very real and um and the risk is is very high? Um, where we can't just be reassured by the thought that things will work out, but actually it might not. And how can I still be okay, right? And one of the things I think about there is like a dying person. Dying people are oftentimes very calm. Um, if they're dying at the right time, I mean, when is there really a right time? But it's not just a sudden traumatic death, but there's kind of a process of this, right? They're oftentimes very calm in this in this state, um, You know, um, you know, with many exceptions, of course. But um, what does it look like if the threat really is real? There's a violent, there's a violent situation, right? There's a moment where, again, Moshe is going to Paro. Paro can just whack him down. So, what do we do in that state? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, you don't have to answer that now. But over to you, Ed.
7: Thank you, uh, Rabbi. No, and um, I. I'm really pondering with that question that you leave. I think that's why I, I um, the majority of my life I've taken martial arts classes uh, to know how to control my anger when I'm at the uh, highest and know that I can defend myself when I'm at the most vulnerable. And that brings me a piece. Um, I think throughout my activism, I've also experienced a lot of hate and it's definitely escalated um, as I um, continued my Jewish journey. Um, I had a nuance of hate, which is anti-Semitism that I've, you know, I've never experienced in my life until um my my Jewish journey. Um But that was on to answer your your question right now. Um, but my uh, on my original point, um, after years of therapy, um something that really um has stuck with me uh has been the notion that it's not about you, and that has really brought me a lot of tranquility inside. Um, noticing that like anytime I feel tension or you know, something coming up, knowing that it's not a direct attack on me, whether that's a political thing, whether that's in the news, whether that's um, co-worker struggles, relationship struggles, family struggles, like knowing to take yourself, decenter yourself off of an argument has just been so liberating and peaceful to know that it's not a direct attack on you, but rather the issue, especially like how I look upon relationships, like with my partner, like the we're, we're a team, so it's never me against them. It's us against the issue that's affecting us. And that has really brought in a lot of tranquility. And if sometimes thinking about that when you're at the point of frustration, anger, and you want to lash out has really been helpful.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. Love that. I love that reminder, um, similar to something Ethan had shared, you know, about just how we partner with people and also how we think about what's going on in their world and how it's not about us. You know, another tool that some people talk about are these homecomings, these spiritual homecomings, these, these worlds we can go to within us, right? Um, These happy places, these calm places, and that takes exercise, just like we have to build our strength physically in exercise. We have to exercise our spiritual memory to be able to go to these places. Imagine for yourself. Um, for some people, like being in a physical paralysis, like post-surgery would be like so terrifying. You can't walk, you can't talk. You're just like trapped in your body on a bed. Right now, probably for almost everyone that's terrifying, actually, but to different degrees. Um, because we might ask ourselves in a state where I can't move or communicate, like, is there a spiritual homecoming I can go to? Is there a place I can still be? And how can we kind of strengthen that muscle of going to that place more quickly, right? In the beginning, it might take in a conflict or turmoil five minutes to get there. Then maybe we can get to two. Can we get to the point where we can get there in, you know, 20 seconds, right? When we're in our in our highest anger or frustration. Not easy, not easy. Um, okay, yeah, great insights here. Anyone else want to weigh in here? I think we've heard from everyone already. So it's great to hear from others. Oh, hi, Sarah. Well, I
6: just... I think I'm going back to what Ethan said is, you know, it's about practicing and particularly practicing at a time of calm in your life and making this habit. Um, I know that when I've done hypnosis with people, I keep telling them, you know, here, I'm giving you this. You're the one who has to practice it. I can't do that for you. I cannot practice for you. I can be here. I can take you back to this wonderful, calm place. But you can do it yourself. If you you can use these particular idiomatic tools and, and brilliantly take yourself there, but you have to do it. And, and when we haven't practiced, um, I, I was thinking at the beginning of this thing, well, there are two things. One is um, I loved the nigun at the beginning and I realized what a tremendous sense of calm just washed through me. It it took me to, forgive me, Steve and Gary, to a very spiritual place. My spirituality just exploded in that moment. It was exquisite. And it's because it, it's the same thing that happens to me when I hear Hashkivenu. Venu. It just, I'm suddenly, I'm enveloped by a sense of incredible calm, and I'm being held in a place of love and care, and I'm okay, and it's my own serenity, which is brilliant. Um, I had trouble with the three things that sap a person's strength, because it didn't address one that I'm seeing with a friend of mine who is incredibly capable and brilliant and calm but she's just lost her spouse of 25 years Mm -hmm. and she's she's like someone who's come off a boat she can't Mm -hmm. find her feet she can't find her strength she's that has just totally drained her of all strength and I'm witnessing that and I'm like that's not on the list she's not anxious She's not traveling and she's certainly not sinning, Uh, uh. but she is just wiped out. And so the loss of of those who are dear to us, who are so close that they are one with us, takes away part of us and takes away that, that sense of power and strength.
2: So I just wanted to say the rabbis missed that one. Oh, no, Sarah, actually, you gave us a gift because now we can reinterpret the rabbis. Travel doesn't mean getting on on a plane and going to Bermuda. Travel means like the journey through life, and um, and that's you know um, that's part of it too. And part of it is loss. So that travel that travel. um, So thank thank you for that. And 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 I also want to thank you because I I shared earlier that I think the big contribution to Chesed or kindness here is our ability to be calm for others. But I think in, in in addition, us finding people who have lost their steering wheel, they've lost their partner, they've lost their, their calm waters, whether it's because of a loss of memory in, a, in the most severe sense, the loss of a partner, whatever it is, like and us helping to be an external form of calm for them when they can't internally reach it. Wow, what a gift that is. When, and when I think back in my life, times where I was like, just like beyond in anxiety, like exploding, like. With um, with confusion and people who were able to just externally be play that role, what a gift! And to the Negoon, um, all credit here goes to Eitan Katz. I'm gonna put it in the chat. I never usually mention where the nigun comes from, but if you ever want to know, I'll share. And this is called the Elul nigun from Eitan Katz, and it's really beautiful, a billion times more beautiful than than, than the uh, weak way that I sang it. Um, But I'm glad that you still were able to connect to it. And now you can enjoy it properly by clicking that link or by clicking Elul Nigun. It's really, uh, really, it can put you in a trance. I mean, sometimes I'll spend 10 minutes in it. Yes. Okay, Gary, you get the last word here.
5: Okay. Uh, To address Lauren and what Ethan had mentioned uh, and uh, what everybody else mentioned uh, in my old Good time friend, not old that she's old, but we've been <laughs> friends for a long time. Cheryl Hammerman always used to say, do the right thing. When you're in a situation, do the right thing. and and so that obviously could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I think through our our Jewish teachings and our Torah and Talmud, we sit back and just take a moment and think, what 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 is the right thing in, in this particular situation, not just necessarily what I think, but what our sages and uh, our torah tells us i think many times that will help uh resolve resolve the issue with some guidance uh that we that we all have learned uh because sometimes we can get caught up into just personal anger about the situation and i find that uh, doing the right thing Based upon guidance from what we do here and other classes and teachings throughout our life uh, helps resolve some of those issues uh, that that Lauren may uh, run across.
2: Beautiful, beautiful, and what a great point to close on because uh, I mean, how how hard it must be to live as a criminal, right? Is someone who's who has to live always being worried about being caught, right? You're always kind of making sketchy choices, and you're you're worried someone's going to find out. Um, and I think that's right, that the greatest path to calm is constantly saying, how do I do the right thing? Because if we're, if, we're, if we're trying our best to always do the right thing, we don't have a lot to be nervous about because we're just doing our best. If we know we're making some choices that are sketchy, like, oh, maybe our partner's going to find out or our kid or our parents, or maybe the police are going to find out or whatever the case is, or my employer, right? And constantly saying, how do I align my moral purpose each day can relieve so much tension. Thank you, friends. I always learn so much from you and I'm so grateful for it. I look forward to seeing you for session 38 next week. Let me tell you what that is real quick. Session 38 next week is the topic of OMETS, striving for courage. How do we live with courage? That's until next week. Oh, two two weeks, weeks, two weeks. Thank you, thank you.
3: (laughs) Okay, I was a little too excited to get the courage. Two weeks. (laughs) See you later.